Every three years at Lakeland Community, we initiate a new financial challenge to recapture our vision. Through solitude and prayer and great discernment, we arrive at a variety of ministries outside our walls that we support in addition to those that we support at 913 Colburn Road. This will challenge you spiritually, financially, but if it's done in pursuit of Jesus, you're going to find tremendous growth that will propel you and our whole community toward Jesus. In Luke 9, 23 and 24, Jesus says this, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must give up his own way, take up his cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. This is the vision for 2020. Jesus Christ takes us places we never dreamt of going, partnering with people we never dreamt of supporting, and becoming the kind of Christian we never dreamt of becoming. Join us and let's dream together. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. Surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. You righteous, sing, all you who are upright in heart. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are the author of every single moment. You know our next breath. You count every hair on our head, and you number our days, God. And this morning, we just stop, and we give you thanks for the life of Lyle McCrary. We ask your blessing upon his family, his children, his grandchildren, and Nancy especially. God, I thank you for my next breath. I thank you that we gather here in this sanctuary We get to come today, be together as a gathered community, sing your praises, hear your word preached, and wash out of here, refreshed and renewed. We pray that we do your bidding. We hold your hand tight. We follow you. So God, move freely. May your spirit move. May we be present. May we hear, follow, obey, do your work. Pray the same for all those serving with our infants and toddlers and our School-aged kids, Lord, this morning during this service, uh, may, may we know your presence, and we may, the, may we make the most of every single moment you give us. It's a gift, God, and we ask all this in your Son's name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let us worship. Well, I was at a conference several years ago, everyone, and I got to hear Leroy Barber speak. Leroy Barber is the president of an uh, organization that uh, reshapes urban communities for Jesus Christ. He is an African-American gentleman. Part of his community reshaping is he also, uh, in an earlier position, ran youth ministry for the inner city. Now, uh, he said that he had children of his own. And as his children began to grow into the same age as the inner city boys that he was ministering to, he began to notice something. He was saying to his own children things like this, you must work hard. There is no excuse to ever take a shortcut around hard work. 
he said to his own children, you can't blame others for putting obstacles in your way, even if they did. He said, you must overcome those obstacles because blaming them, even if it's true, doesn't do a thing for your family. And he told his own children, you never get to think of yourself as a victim. Your life is exactly what you make it. And suddenly he said he realized he wasn't saying any of those things to the boys in his inner city ministry. He said he hadn't wanted to hurt those boys with such harsh words. And he didn't want to saddle those boys with heavy burdens that then he couldn't go home and help them carry. But he said when it was his own kids, he taught them the harsh truth without any apology because he was teaching his own kids how to survive and how to make it in the world. He said he repented the day he realized that and vowed never again to sell the boys in his inner ministry, uh, inner city ministry short by teaching them something less than he was teaching his own children. And I left that conference that day realizing that's exactly what I had been doing here at Lakeland. I had been uh, doing it regarding the issues of money and giving to ministry in the church to avoid offending people so that you would like me. I was giving you a soft-pedaled message, a message that I'm afraid led some of you into financial disaster. I did it because I wanted to be liked. Everybody laughs at, what's her name, Sally Field, when she got up there at the Oscars and said, you like me, you really like me. I'm like, gosh, she got to have a moment when she knew that was true. You know, everybody except me sees how pathetic that was. <laughs> I didn't want to be seen as harsh. I was afraid you might leave the church if I told you what I know to be true. It wasn't until my own kids got old enough they began asking me some of the same questions that you have been asking me that I realized that I was giving my kids a totally different gospel than what I had been giving to you. But today, I want to fix all that. I want to apologize for dereliction of duty. I want to repent, which means to turn and go the other way. And I want to make restitution. I want to turn it around. This morning, I just want to tell you the four things. Can someone get me a tissue or it's going to get biological up here? Um, today, I want to tell you the four things that I tell my own children because I want them to survive and I want them to thrive and I want them to make it in the world. So today, I want to give you, God bless you, a whole package. <laughs> Let's hope it's not that bad. Um, thank you. Today, I want to give you the same chance that I have been offering daily to my own children. So here they are, the four things I tell my own kids about God and giving money to ministry. So I have, uh, we, my wife and I, we have three allowance jars for each of our children. So their allowance gets done, done this way, 10% for giving to the church, 10% for saving for the future, and 80% they can spend on whatever they like. Now my daughter, as she got old enough, she asked me, uh, well, what happens if I don't want to give to the church? Well, what happens if I put money in the giving jar, but then I spend out of it later? She asked us that. Now, if one of you had asked me that, what happens if I don't give 10%? What happens if I plan to, but then spend it later? I, in the past, would have assured you that, well, God is always providing for you, but we should give 10% to show gratefulness for the fact that God is always providing for us. 
I would never have suggested that you're a thief or a cheat or a robber or something like that, or that something was bad was going to happen to you if you kept the tithe for yourself. I would just let you not give, as if in reality, it doesn't really matter whether you do or not. The problem with that is, is, is that is, it is not at all what the scriptures say. Matthew chapter 3, God says, Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you asked, What do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. Oh my gosh, you're a cheater and you're under a curse? That is the one-two punch of guilt and fear. And guilt and fear are the worst two reasons to do anything, especially give, especially give. And that is why this scripture, after being real honest there up front, goes on and replaces guilt and fear with a bigger picture of hope. Let's keep reading uh, verse 10 and beyond. It says, bring the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease, two things farmers back then could not control. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, another thing they couldn't control themselves, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight says the Lord of heaven's armies. So I want to tell you, when my daughter asked that question, what happens if I don't give 10%? Here is what I said to her. I said, everything you have comes from God, so don't ever cheat him. If you don't remember God, you have no right to expect, daughter, that you'll ever make another dollar. I said, because your ability to do these chores and our ability to pay you something for them, all of that's coming from God. When you keep the tithe for yourself, daughter, it's like saying, God, I, I just don't trust you to take care of me. So I'm going to keep this money for myself, and I'm going to take care of myself because I trust myself. And the weight of all those finances shifts off of God's shoulders and onto yours, and it is a heavy burden to bury, frankly, filled with all sorts of things you cannot control. But on the other hand, God says, let me bear this burden and I will provide for you and I will care for you. So long as we remember he's giving us that money to do good with in the world as his people and as his agents. I told my kids, even when you're in financial storms like your mom and I are having right now, you can still breathe easy because you know God always comes through. And when he does, we're going to give thanks for it at our dinner time table. And we got to do that just last Monday night because we started the year 2017 in a financial storm, right? You know, miscalculations with the IRS uh, and not in our favor. And, uh, and then everything in the house broke all at the same time. But then God showed up, and so at the dinner table, we said, okay, kids, you know how sweaty mom and I have been? Well, let us tell you what God has done. And we gave thanks there at the dinner table. I want, this is all I want for my kids. I want my son and daughter to have all their needs cared for for the rest of their life. That's all. And so the advice I give them to that end is to trust in God always, the only one who can answer such a prayer with a minimum of 10%. 
Here's the next lesson that I tell my own kids. So this was early in their life when we all used to ride to church together. And uh, we drive past Paradise Park here next door. My daughter asks, or her son asks, uh, you know, can we go to Paradise Park today after church? No, I said, we don't have enough money to go to Paradise Park today. Next day, because we come here several times a week, uh, you know, can we go to Paradise Park today? We don't have enough money to go to Paradise Park today. Next day, can we go to Paradise Park today? Like, we don't have enough money to go to Paradise Park every day. It wasn't until she rephrased the question I realized what was going on. One day we drove by and she said, do we have enough money to go to Paradise Park yet? <laughs> oh. They didn't want to go to Paradise Park every day. The first time I answered that question and said, we don't have enough money to go to Paradise Park, what she heard was, we don't have $14 for mini golf. Oh, our family's in trouble. We're one of those families. So then they asked every day to see, are we okay yet? I said, okay. She's asking, do we have enough money? Now, if one of you ever asked me that question, Pastor, do I have enough money? I would give you a very sensitive walk on eggshells answer previous to today. Because I learned a long time ago, you don't tell people in the suburbs that they have enough money. People in the suburbs hate to hear that. Do I have enough money? Oh yeah, you have enough. That doesn't go over really well. I learned this the hard way in college. I was a, a, a good friends with a family, and this family always had financial troubles. And, uh, and one day the daughter had come in, and she said she wanted to go to this soccer camp. And mom said, we don't have enough The mom of the family said, we don't have enough money to sign up for this soccer camp. She said, it's only $20. because we don't have $20 to sign up for this soccer camp. Now, on that particular day, they had 10 bottles of two-liter pop on the counter. Because at this house, you could have whatever you wanted. You could have cola, you could have clear, you could have fruit flavored, you could have caffeine with sugar, you could have sugar without caffeine, you could have no sugar, no caffeine, you could have extra sugar, extra caffeine. It was all on tap. And I said, you know, if you didn't buy 10 bottles of two liter pop when you went to the store, you would easily have $20 for soccer camp. Oh, that went badly. Mom, that's what I called her. She turned on me and said, Garrett, you can't go through life with nothing. You have to enjoy yourself every once in a while. I backed way off. But I thought about it later. You can't go through life with nothing? And that's 10 two-liter bottles of pop, just to be clear. That if you went to your fridge and said, Where's the clear one with no caffeine but sugar and it's not there? You would tear your hair out. We have nothing. God has forsaken us. You have to be happy sometimes, she said. And happiness equals 10 bottles of pop. That's what stands between you and happiness. That's not a life. That's pathetic. That's ridiculous. That's a lie. But I learned, don't tell people in the suburbs that you've got enough money. <laughs> so if one of you would ever ask me, do I have enough money? I would probably in the past have said, well, sometimes we struggle. Sometimes life can be difficult. Sometimes we don't have enough to make ends meet. The problem with that answer is that that is not at all what the scriptures say. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. And that contentment 
is a great wealth. He said, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation. Temptation, and they are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires, like ten bottles of pop. And they plunge themselves into ruin and destruction, for the love of money and endless varieties of soda pop is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money and whatever pop and whatever combination, whatever day of the week they want, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Roll back to verse 8. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. And that is great wealth. Now, out of two services today, mathematically, there probably is one of you here who doesn't have the food that you need for tomorrow and the clothing that you need. You have a need And you can come to the church, and the church will help. We will either assist you or appoint you to organizations like Lee Summit Social Services that Charlie was just talking about that help with needs like that. Now, there's a handful and a half of you between two services that don't have the food and the clothes that you need for tomorrow, but it's because you have 10 liters of 2-liter pop sitting on your counter at home. It's because you have 100 channels on your television and no food in the refrigerator. It's because you have this crazy expensive cell phone plan and mostly you just use it to play Candy Crush. It's because your truck costs more than your grandmother's house. Now for you and for all the rest of us, here's what I said to my own kid when she asked, do we have enough money? I said, honey, we have more than enough money, all right? True, we could go to Paradise Park every day. We have enough money, we could go every day. Now, I have nothing against Paradise Park. Paradise Park is a great community organization. Um, They do great things for the community. You should go to Paradise Park today, but not every day. I said, the thing is, is that we don't go there every day because we choose to do other things. Here's what's really happening, honey. We say no to, to that, so we say yes to something else. And then I started to list out. We don't go to Paradise Park every day because we're saving up to go to a state park in Arkansas for our vacation. You want to go back to Devil's Den, don't you? That's an unfortunately named place for a preacher to hang out. <laughs> but it's beautiful. Um, you want to go back to that poorly named state park, don't you? I said, we don't go to Paradise Park every day because we're giving to a financial challenge that's building you a new youth room. And that is uh, providing surgeries for women in Africa. That's what we're saying yes to. And this little grin spread on her face. Because not only was I assuaging her fear that we didn't have enough, I let her know that day what, it, what being a Leahy means. Leahy is our last name. This is what Leahys do. We say no to some things and say yes to these types of things. I also let her know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Followers of Jesus say no to things like that and order to say yes to things like this. She had a new identity. Third lesson that I teach my own kids about God and money. As I told you that we give our kids allowance in those three jars, 10% for giving to the church, 10% for uh, 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 saving for the future, 80% they can spend on what they want. But here's what really burns our kids up. We won't give them a thin dime of it until the sorting has happened. So we get all the money out of the bank, kids' allowance, put it in the kids' allowance, Dave Ramsey envelope. And then our kids are running off to the movies and they want $10 for a hot dog. And that's a whole other problem for another sermon. But... They want $10 for a hot dog. And we're like, sorry, the sort hasn't happened. You haven't put the giving in the giving and the spending in the spending. And you know, I don't have time. You have to make change and turn this $10 bill into $1.20. You know, we don't have time for all this. So, well, I'm sorry. Until you get the giving and the savings done, you can't have a thin dime of that spending. Oh, it makes them crazy. They hate us so much. They'll go to therapy someday. Now, 
Now, honestly, if one of you asked me that question, do I have to do my giving first before everything else? I would break out in a cold sweat. I hear so many of you say, I want to give, but at the end of the month, there's nothing left. And I know that that means you are giving last. And that means very often you're not giving at all. But I don't say anything to you about it because I have a huge conflict of interest. Those bags you just passed around and gave in, I get some of that. So I could take my kids to Paradise Park. (laughs) So you're paying your rent and your mortgage. You're paying your groceries. You're paying your medical bills. That's what you're doing. And I'm supposed to say, well, do the part first that I get something out of. So, oh, man, I just just stay silent. The problem is that is a, a complete abdication of what I'm supposed to do as a pastor. If the scripture speaks to something, I'm not supposed to be silent on it. And the scripture speaks to this in Ezekiel chapter 44 and many other places. It says, the first of the ripe fruit and all the gifts brought to the Lord will go to the priests. The first samples of each grain harvest and the first of your flour must also be given to the priest. So the Lord will bless your homes. But here's what I said to my own kids when they asked, why do you make us do the giving and the savings first. I said, hey, give the first 10% off the top and trust God for the rest. And that's the key phrase. Trust God for the rest. You will never see God if you do it the other way around. And that's a bad thing to never see God. Because here's how it will go if you do it the other way around. You'll pay your rent or mortgage because, hey, having a place to live is, is great. Um, and you'll pay for your groceries because not dying is also cool. And then you'll pay your medical bills. And then you'll have this little bit of money left. And then the emergency happens. And right as God is getting ready to show up and do this miracle, before you even know he was on his way, you're like, oh, and you pay for it yourself. And, and you even reinforce the negative message to yourself. You say, good thing I didn't give that money. I wouldn't have had it for this emergency. Whew. But here's what happens when you do it the other way around. You give 10% to the work of God. You pay your rent and mortgage. You pay your groceries. You pay your medical bills. Now you're out of money. Now the emergency happens. And so you pray, God help me. And he shows up and he does the miracle. He shows up and he provides just as his word says many, many times. And you see it. You realize, whoa, this is real. And your kids see it and say, oh my gosh, God actually interacts with our family. And the people in your small group, you say, remember what we were praying about last week? Let me tell you how God showed up. It strengthens the whole church. All of our faith grows. We realize this isn't just poetry Jesus laid down. This is, he meant it. And have you ever noticed that the people in the church who tithe are also the most relaxed, nice people that you meet? Why are they so relaxed? Because they've seen these miracles so many times that it has given them great courage and peace. And you'll never see it if you do it the other way around. So I tell my own, when I tell my own children how to live, I tell them, you put your tithe right up front. Because I believe in my heart, this sets them up to thrive. And it sets them up now to rely on the only power in the universe that's actually reliable. The Almighty God. Last lesson I teach my own kids about money and giving. I used to do this when they were younger. I don't so much do it now, but I used to take my kids to the dump once a year. Kids love going to the dump because furniture and stuff that's worn out that used to be, you would tell them, now don't walk on that furniture and don't put your shoes on. Now they get to throw it out of the back of a truck and watch a bulldozer run over it. Kids get a big charge out of that. 
And so there we are, and then I used to say, now stop, kids, look around. What do you see? Look, there's a dishwasher over there. And look, there's TVs at the dump, flat-screen TVs, the latest and greatest, already making their way to the dump. Look, there's a whole car. (laughs) Kids, pay attention, because this is where all your stuff ends up. Everything you buy is destined for this place, being run over by a bulldozer, being pooped on by seagulls. Where did seagulls come in to Missouri? But they're out there at the dump. I said, don't ever decline doing something important for this junk because that's what it is, no matter how cool it was the day you bought it. Now, I've never taken any of you to the dump. In fact, in our culture, I'm supposed to admire the nice things you've bought. You worked so hard for them. Half the things you bought are upgraded. You did to impress somebody. And if I don't act impressed, that's just not nice. But that's not what the scripture says about the accumulation of things. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eat them and rust destroy them and thieves break in and steal and bulldozers run over them and seagulls relieve themselves on them. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. What I tell my own kids out there at the dump is a quote from A.W. Tozer. Seek only things that last millions of years think about the long tomorrow. Now, it wasn't wrong to buy that car. It wasn't wrong to buy that dishwasher. I love my dishwasher. But if these people neglected the chance to do good in order to have these things, well, now look at where their life's work has ended up. So I I tell my kids, do good and honor God. And if he blesses you with this other stuff above and beyond it, by all means, be grateful for it. By all means, use it. And take care of it, but stop short of loving it and valuing it in your heart as if it is important. It is not important. A dishwasher is a plastic box that squirts hot and cold water on a whirly piece of plastic (laughs) over your dishes. Don't cry about having this car versus that car, because it's just the car. I didn't tell this to the first service, but my daughter goes to this school where people have a little bit nicer cars. And so she's, because I drive this 96 car, but it looks like an 86. So (laughs) this boy she likes was scooting by us, and she slipped down in her seat as he got into a Dodge Charger. And I go, honey, why are you slinking down in your seat? She goes, because, Dad, look at their car and look at ours. I said, honey, we don't judge other people because they have to drive smaller cars than we do. I said, that family may be perfectly happy in that dinky little car. So we don't judge other people. (laughs) Never put these things before something God has called you to do. All right. Now, all this week and next Monday, we're going to have vision dinners for our 2020 financial challenge. And I want to tell you what's going to happen. There are three things. One, dinner. I'm not talking about catered in from some restaurant thing. Uh, Brothers and sisters from your own congregation are making this dinner for you, and it is awesome. I know one of the chefs, and I know her spaghetti recipe very well, and it is top shelf. So it's going to be a great dinner. It's going to be fun. There's a comedy team from, of congregants right here in the church who have been working their tail off to make a lot of fun. Some crazy stuff's going to happen that everyone will be talking about. You want to have seen it. Third thing is you're going to get information about what we feel we are being called to in ministry here for the next three years. And this is your church too. And you want to hear where we're going and 
what it's all about. You're going to hear about sharing the gospel in China, building a new room for our elementary kids, inner city ministry, fixing the doors on this church so vandals can't come out in and out of here at whim, helping women escape the sex industry, keeping our worship service gear in good working order, raising up a new generation of leaders here in the church, surgery for women in Africa, a clean and safe parking lot, Did you notice a giant granite boulder rolled out this week? All right. Uh, Beans and rice for Mexico. Helping refugees escape Islamic terrorism. And orphans in Haiti and orphans here at home. Now, 2020 financial challenge is not even the tithe, which is mostly what I've been talking about today. It's over and above the tithe. These are offerings beyond. So this is a serious commitment and something to consider. So at these vision dinners, no financial commitments will be made. It is just what I said. It's dinner chance to come and have fun, chance to hear about where we're going as a congregation. Whether you participate or not, this is your church, and you want to know where we're going. So come, eat, hear, enjoy, laugh, see if God speaks. But as you sit at these vision dinners here this week or next Monday, uh, remember these four lessons. Everything we have comes from God, so don't ever cheat Him. Is God calling you to participate in 2020? If He is, His word says he will also care for you and provide for all your needs. God equips those whom he calls. I tell my kids this too. I just give them the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Remember this lesson, we have more than enough money. Some will choose to give to 2020 beyond their tithe, and some will not. But let us be honest in that moment and admit that we are choosing, no circumstances forcing us. We are saying no to some things and yes to other things. And let's list them in our hearts and make sure our no's and our yeses line up with who we want to be, whatever you decide your no's and yeses are. Give the first 10% and trust in God for the rest and invest in things that last God's kingdom. And now you know what I have been telling my own children about God and money. Now, I don't want you to miss the irony of this, and it's not a good irony. That all the time I was comforting you and telling you it was okay if you don't tithe and okay if you don't give offerings, I was stealing God from you. All those times I was pretending to understand your fears, I was keeping you from the only power that can actually address and rescue you from your fears. You see, you're constantly on the tracks with this train of materialism and fear that your Bible calls the love of money and mammon racing towards you, and you're at a game of chicken with it. And God is trying to tell you, just put your head down. I'm going to blow that train off the tracks. Watch this. But when people like me tell you it's okay to just take a right because you're scared. You miss God every time and you never make it home. Jesus called that shutting the door of heaven in people's face. I was telling you and your kids, if you're afraid to give, it's all right. But I was telling my kids at home, don't ever give into that deadly trap of fear. 
If you want to live the good life, you've got to dedicate yourself completely and courageously to the only power in the universe that can really protect you from the uncertainty of this world and the cruelty of this world. I sold you a whitewashed gospel that would be bled to nothing with the first good storm. And then to add insult to injury, I was sneaking off and living this way. I was taking this Bible back to my own kids and teaching them about tithing and first fruits and contentment and eternity. So now I just want to invite you on the same journey that my family and I are on. I am sorry. I repent completely. I invite you to a vision dinner this week or next Monday. See for yourself with 2020 clarity the path Jesus Christ has set before us to see if it is your path too. Do you want miracles in your life? Do you want those miracles you hear people stand up here and talk about, that you hear people in your small group talking about when God showed up and God provided? Do you want those miracles in your life? Then hitch your wagon to God. And when you do, like a shooting star, he will pull you into a universe that you never knew existed. I want to welcome Matt Sisk to the platform. Matt is a Lakelander. He sits right here every Sunday just like you. And Matt and his wife, Tara, they've hitched their wagon to God. And as promised, God has pulled them into a universe they never knew existed. So let's welcome Matt as he shares where God has taken him. Morning. My name is Matt Sisk, and this is my story. In the spring of 2007, Dan Wilburn pitched the idea to Lakelanders about a group of us uh, traveling to China. I was sitting in service, and I was overwhelmed by emotion, which, if you know me, doesn't take much, and immediately felt like this was something I was needing to do. It was not a mission trip, but a pilgrimage, as Dan called it, and I later learned that a pilgrimage is a journey that someone takes out of religious devotion. I had a lot of concerns about such a trip. Uh, among them, the top concerns were how would I raise the money necessary to go on such a trip? And also, uh, in the back of my head, I had this thought about going to a communist nation and somehow getting thrown in prison. I acknowledged God's voice and listened to him and signed up for the trip. This was a lot for a guy who was used to telling, no, telling God no thanks. Hence, one of the things accomplished uh, through this ministry happened before we ever even left Missouri. I was obedient to God. A few months later, I found myself on the other side of the globe. And two years later, in the summer of 2009, I went back for a second time. My story is about three specific things that I have seen and experienced God do firsthand throughout this, this uh, Lakeland China's ministry, Lakeland's China ministry, and why I believe in my heart this ministry is so incredibly important. These things are more about how China impacted me than how I impacted China. Number one, Lakeland is helping to be and helping others to be the hands and feet of Christ in China. Those who take the risk and go on these trips return as changed people. There is no question in my mind about this. There is a sense of urgency to move, to do, to help, and to be involved at whatever level they can get their hands on. They become game changers and leaders within our church. 
The money we send to Jack and Hannah Liu for their salaries, resources, and schools is literally changing the world. The underground house church in China, which is run by these two amazing people, has grown by leaps and bounds since Lakeland has started helping them. The students that Jack and Hannah teach and impact on a regular basis are changed by the interactions that we, Lakeland, sometimes help to make possible. Think about it. We have indirectly led people to Christ through our funding. When we give money to China, we are giving it over to God, who then uses it to save people's souls. I could not think of anyone more committed to this task than Jack and Hannah. They have such a heart for this work like no people I have ever encountered before. Some people preach and some people fund. I know my role. Displacement and lack of control. Point number two. In Lee Summit, I have a routine. It is safe. I know where I'm going and I know what I'm consuming. In China, that was certainly not the case. I was forced to trust God, which was not a practice that I was used to. Anyone who's been on a plane for 22 hours, rode in a Chinese taxi cab, driven through the mountains in central China on one-lane roads with no railings, and tried some of the food in China has to believe in a higher power. <laughs> At several times, I had to close my eyes and accept that if God was going to take me out of this world, it might just happen on this China trip. It was his call, not mine. Point number three, shifts in perspective. I thought I had faith until I watched Chinese students worship with drawn shades and locked doors with a mattress pushed up against the door so that the neighbors wouldn't call the police to come and arrest them. Yeah, that's faith. Good thing I brought this. I can't see what I'm reading. <laughs> I thought I knew poverty until I encountered the Miao people of central China and saw how they lived. I thought I understood the freedoms and privileges that we have as Americans until I met people in communist China who would give anything to have those freedoms that I found out I was every day taking for granted. Chief among those, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. I thought I was a crusader for Christ until I realized that the persecution as a Christian that I face in Lee Summit, Missouri is very, very different than what they face in China and what Jack and, Chana, uh, Jack and Hannah and the Underground House Church undergo on a regular basis under constant threat of being beat or thrown in jail for who and how they worship. I thought I knew what spiritual reflection was until I was forced to process through journaling, talking, and praying the total shock and awe that China really is. I found myself to be a better follower of Christ in China than I ever was here in Lee Summit, and I miss it. It is for these reasons that Tara and I continue to support trips and funding in China. I would strongly encourage anyone interested in going to China to go. It will deeply move you to see just what Lakeland is not only doing around the world, but in our own backyard as well, in the name of Christ. It might just change who you are and how you live. I know it did me. My name is Matt Sisk, and this is my story. I'm up here too early. <laughs> or am I? I have an assistant and she left. I was right. Oh, good heavens. So there's this role where you can help the pastor be in the right place at the right time. It's a very important serving role. <laughs> so I'm here for communion. All right. Let's, uh, let's not miss the heart of God 
on this, okay? So on a morning like this, you're like, oh, my giving's so messed up. The heart of God is not, oh, your giving is so messed up. That's not what he's saying. The heart of God is, I have wanted to provide for you for your whole life. Is this the day you'll let me? I have wanted to help you. I have wanted to... Um, you've been faced, you've been on that track when materialism and fear is coming at you. And so many times I've wanted to say, put your head down, stay there, watch. I'm going to knock it off the track. I'm going to knock this thing off the track. Oh, you took a right. It's all right. Next time. Next time. Is this the time? And you think, I can't believe that. Nobody's like that. Nobody lets you off the hook that easy. And that's why he gave us this meal to say, oh, yes, they do. On the night he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Look where I'm going with this. He took a cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. I'm not saying to you, well, get your giving right for a straight year and then we'll talk about maybe a blessing or two. Say, I come to forgive you. I'm ready to start right now. I'm up here on the cross before you're born, dying for you. Tear off a piece of that bread, dip it in that cup, take it in yourself, receive the gift. Let's get started. I've been waiting for this. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. Let us stand together and proclaim the mystery of faith. There's an hallelujah later in this that gets crossed out during the season of Lent, as long as that purple cloth is up. This is a season when we repent and we think about. So instead of saying hallelujah, we just kind of have a little moment of silence. We think about this is the season to think about my life and get it reoriented, to think about the cross and what it was for. And then after Easter, we'll put that hallelujah back in because it's the resurrection, right? All right. Let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day may Christ be as real to you as this food and this drink. You don't have to do this part, but I hope you want to. You come down, you tear off a piece of bread, you dip it in the cup, you receive it into yourself, and you receive this mystery of forgiveness and a journey and a new day. So if you want that, come forward when you're ready. May the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.